Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Don McLean. Don grew up on Cape Breton Island and attended St. Francis Xavier University and Memorial University. He retired in 2015 after a 32-year career as a fisheries biologist with the Inland Fisheries Division of the Nova Scotia Department of Fisheries and Aquaculture. He has written professionally since 1999, and his columns and articles on sport fishing, natural history, and traditional crafts have appeared in a variety of newspapers and magazines. He is the author of two books, Discover Nova Scotia Sport Fishing, and A Little Thing I Tied Myself, Stories of Atlantic Canadian Fly Tires. Don and his wife Judy live in Pictou, Nova Scotia, and today he's here in our studio. Thank you. Thank you, Dale. So what brings you to Newfoundland? Well, I'm here to uh, do some research for the uh, my next book, which is... Um uh, I'm working on. Um, it's coming out in 2018. I, I'm writing it for Nimbus Publishing, who also published my first two books. And this one is, uh, my working title is uh, With These Hands, and it's um, profiling traditional arts and crafts and, and even trades of Atlantic Canada. So um, uh, I've started, have done some work in Newfoundland, in Nova Scotia over the, uh, over the spring, and uh, now we're here for uh, a week traveling across Newfoundland interviewing uh, traditional uh, people who are doing traditional crafts. So uh, really appreciate the opportunity to uh, come here today to talk to you about them. And you're based out of Harbor Grace while We're you're here. We're based out of Harbor Grace. My wife's uh, uh, brother and his wife live in Harbor Grace, so they've been very generous and we stayed there last night and tonight. And then we're heading off to across the island to Deer Lake and St. Anthony and Rocky Harbor and Corner Brook and heading home on the ferry on uh, ne- uh, next Sunday. So, See, so uh, that really is a whirlwind <laughs> tour of the A whirlwind island. tour, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's great. We always enjoy coming to Newfoundland. I lived here for three years and I did my master's at Memorial on, on Wananish for any anglers out there on uh, Five Mile Pond East. And I looked at it this morning when I was driving in from uh, from uh, from Harbor Grace. So uh, yeah, fond, very fond memories of Newfoundland. Certainly don't remember it ever being this hot when I lived here, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's nice. It's nice. So, so. That's, that's a landlocked salmon, that's is a, it? Yeah. yeah, and the ones I worked on were actually dwarf uh, dwarf landlocked salmon. They only get about uh, five or six inches long. They were uh, landlocked 10,000 years ago by the when the glaciers retreated, and they just never got to get to sea. So they over over that interim, that time, they became stunted. So they don't ever get, but they, re, you know, mature at a very young age and don't live very long. So it was very fast because I was studying and comparing them with uh, sea-run Atlantic salmon from uh, Noel Paul Brook on the Oil Exploits River. So uh, very, very fond memories of my time spent in Newfoundland. So. Yeah. So how did you get started as a writer then? Well, uh, I worked, as, I'm, as you mentioned in my bio there, for 32 years as a sportfish biologist and manager with the Nova Scotia government. And in that capacity, I saw the need to get sort of uh, information out to anglers who weren't necessarily well-informed in some cases about what we were doing and, and uh, you know, even the basic biology of some of the fish we were managing. So I started writing in 1999 with newspaper columns, and uh, that led to uh, my first book, which was Discover Nova Scotia Sport Fishing, that Nimbus published in 2003. And uh, that was a guide to fishing uh, in Nova Scotia throughout the season. And I followed that up because I have great interest in, in fly fishing, especially for trout and salmon, and also fly tying. My second book was, as you mentioned, a little thing I tied myself. And I, what I did was profile fly tires in the four Atlantic provinces. So I spent quite a bit of time here in Newfoundland interviewing uh, fly tires because Newfoundland is just a treasure trove of uh, some excellent you know, world-class fly tires and a long history of fly tying and, and some of the earliest records of fly uh, tying and fly fishing for Atlantic salmon come, come out of Newfoundland. 
Land and Labrador. So that was that was uh, I really enjoyed that a lot, and uh, that came out in two thousand and six. And um, then I had planned for some other books, and then the recession hit in 2008, and <laughs> they kind of slowed down. <laughs> Plus, I took on new uh, responsibilities. I became director of inland fisheries for the province, so that didn't give a lot of time for uh, writing. So, the, they, But when I retired in 15, I kind of blew the dust off my propo- book proposals, and Nimbus was very generous and uh, decided to go with this one. So it's uh, really looking forward to uh, to uh, writing in and the big part for me is meeting people because you meet so such interesting yeah, people, people and they're all yeah. very kind uh, yeah. in sharing their information and their time. So uh, yeah, so it's good. So this one, you know, I'm doing a lot. Of, you know, I'm calling it traditional crafts. So I'm do- covering everything from you know boat building and canoe building, and I got fly tying in there as well. But also like things like rug hooking and quilt making, and uh, um, I'm interviewing a wheelwright over in Nova Scotia. Yeah, I'm interviewing some people here on uh, making sealskin crafts. So um, and I'm looking forward. I'm visiting the wooden boat museum uh, tomorrow and then green's uh, family forge in trinity, in trinity tomorrow yeah. as well oh, very so, good yeah yeah so black that's, that's a busy, busy day tomorrow. yeah gonna yeah. be a long day tomorrow <laughs> gonna be a long day yeah, yeah. so but uh, it's all fun looking forward to it and uh and um i'm very fortunate that not only that nimbus decided to uh, uh go with this book and publish it but i also i, re- I received a grant from the access copyright um uh, foundation it's a Marion Hebb research grant and that gave me some funding to uh, cover some of the costs for my travel so that's a huge help uh, with the uh, the cost so uh, it's uh, it's been good and uh, this is uh, this is uh, um, everyone so far I met in, uh, in Newfoundland and talked to have been really really great and helpful so and I'm looking forward to other people uh, maybe after they hear this they'll uh, contact me with some of their thoughts if they're doing traditional crafts yeah yeah I want I want to go back to the fly tying for a moment you, you mentioned that Newfoundland is one of these places that has a long history of it exactly I, I'm curious about h- how old is that written record of this type of craft well there's a and I should have verified the reference before I come but came out came on the show but there's a um, uh, a book um, uh, Joe, um, uh, Joe Bates wrote a book Atlantic Salmon Fishing back in the probably in the 70s anyway he has a reference in it from about 1760 or something oh, wow. like that and it's a reference from a, a, a Newfoundland family bible and they talk in the bible there was an antidote about catching a salmon on the red cow fly so it was uh, hair, presumably from a red cow that tied on a hook and caught a salmon, and that's uh, usually considered to be the first reference to u- using hair wing flies for landing salmon. Because traditionally, landing salmon was a, a fish for the uh, aristocracy to fish for over in Scotland and, and so in Ireland and so on. So they fished with these very elaborate uh, feather wing flies, we used to call them. And since England uh, ruled the waves, they had all these exotic feathers from India and all over. So. And only the best would do for the king of fish is what, what they still considered Atlantic salmon. So to catch it on a on a on a fly tied with the hair from your family cow was was kind of a, <laughs> a, a revolutionary. So and actually Newfoundland has certainly led the way in its development of hair wing Atlantic salmon flies, and it's re, you know highly regarded you know across North America for its uh, innovation and and so on. So yeah, and, yeah. 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 You know, excellent. Yeah. So, so that was your your first book was on on the which was which is the first of the two books. The first the, first one was Discover Nova Scotia Sport Fishing, right. and that was a, a you know a real extension of my work as a biologist because uh, I profiled the species, fish species that were available to anglers in Nova Scotia, their natural history, and um, and uh, you know, I have quite a few anecdotes about the history of sport fishing in in Nova Scotia because we we have a long history over there too because of the military history and so on and. 
and then a lot of Americans coming up, people like Lee Wolf and and uh, so on to um, uh, to um, uh, fish in the province. So that was that was fun. So uh, um, and that's still in print, um, uh, fortunately, because uh, they have a, Nimbus have it on a print on demand basis. So which is kind of nice. So um, but the second book was uh, since there's a lot of color pictures in it, it it's out of print now, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. but it, may, it may be available as an ebook at some point in the future. So. Right. So I'm curious then was. Um was fly tying your introduction to craft, or did you have an interest in craft before? Well, that? I certainly have a, I have a, a background in craft, I guess. Both uh, my grandparents, um, my uh, grandfather McLean was a blacksmith. That was his trade, and a farrier in Cape Breton, uh, in Garbus Lake, where I'm from. And uh, my other grandfather Monroe, uh, my mom, my mother's uh, father, had a sawmill. He had a he had a, a water powered um, uh, sawmill that he used to saw. Um, um, last for lobster traps, um, so they were very much hands-on, you know, self-employed and farmed as well. And my grandmothers always did crafts. I can remember um, them knit, always knit, always had knitting needles in their hands if they were sitting down, which wasn't very often, but they were never idle. That's for sure. Then they did quilting and rug hooking and mm-hmm. so on. So, and uh, we still have uh, rugs that my grandmother hooked. So, um, uh, and um, so yeah. So I have a long history. And and uh, my parents, my dad was a, a carpenter. He worked at uh, the Fortress Lewisburg in the restoration. There. Oh, interesting. So yeah, he yeah. was very handy. And uh, and that's, they, they they were and mom, uh, she was a school teacher, but when she retired. She certainly became a very avid uh, rug hooker, and uh, she's she's an, she's an author as well. When she retired, she wrote a book about uh, the area in Cape Breton where my uh, her parents came from, which was a place called Canoe Lake, which is near Garbus, but it's vacant. Everybody moved away to work at the steel plant in Sydney in the, probably in the twenties. So there's it's a ghost town now, growing up in Spruce. But she wrote a book about uh, the history of the place called Only a Memory, and uh, and it's still uh, uh, we still get requests for it. So it's. Uh, it's really nice to uh, to see it uh, see it mentioned. So, so you, you come by all this honestly, <laughs> then, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah I guess uh, 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 it, I have a real interest in it, and I, you know, I do. Uh, I like to. Uh, I used to do a lot of work with my dad doing carpentry work. So uh, yeah, so I like doing carpentry work, and I fix old wooden canvas canoes, and, and the fly tying is a, is a big part. I enjoy yeah. I enjoy fly tying, and and the writing is just kind of an extension of that because it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's not for the not for the. Uh, the economic gain—that's for sure. It's uh, like all the uh, all the crafts and arts. I guess it's uh, it's a labor of love to a certain extent, but I, I get a great deal of enjoyment out of it. So. so when you were when you were researching the fly tying book, uh, do, do you see uh, regional differences in how people are, are approaching the craft? Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah, you see, you know, there are certain flies that become very, you know very popular, and and you know Newfoundland flies are you know tend to be very sparse and you know not a lot of uh, uh, you know, can be very simple. I mean, they can be uh, you know tied with a few feathers from a seagull. Uh, uh, feather or a bit of a uh, bit of moose hair, like Newfoundland. Like the moose hair flies are, you know, very uh, a unique thing for Newfoundland, and uh, they use the the material that was available to them. Sure. So, yeah. And in uh, over in uh, the mainland in New Brunswick, they use they use a lot of uh, you know more deer hair and that sort of thing that's not available here. So, and uh, you see you know certain styles, black bear flies, maybe more more popular in uh, in. Um, in New Brunswick and uh, and Nova Scotia, is sort of in between, I guess. But um, it's uh, yeah, they're very uh, unique styles and, and differences. And uh, um, and uh, I always enjoy stopping when I'm over here. I always stop at all the uh, gas stations because you always see some local person selling 
you know packages of flies. So yeah, and I'll speak up a few just to see what the, what the hot fly is this year. So. And, it's, and it's interesting because as as someone who is not an angler, you know, I see those displays and they and they're it's like Greek to me. You know, it's <laughs> it, there's a language yeah. there that I don't that yeah. I don't know exactly, exactly. But I know that when you're into it, like yeah. it's the the differences oh, are incredibly oh, important. Sure. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you know, a well tied fly is easily distinguished by the proportions and the small head and there's things like that. You see, you know, you see a you know some shoddy stuff, but most of the stuff here you see, especially the stuff that's for sale, is first class. And if you see a, 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 a you know a, a wall hanging of flies, and there's only two or three left, that's the ones to get because they're obviously catching fish. So. <laughs> they're that's very good. Popular. That's good to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's a neat you, you know a neat folk art, and, and you know I'm looking forward to. That's an easy one for me to write in the in this in this section of this book because. Uh, I, I'm passionate about it, and I've written about it so much. So it's going to that one's going to come together fairly quickly, and, and so is the, the wooden canvas canoe one because I've I've written articles uh, in the past on wooden canvas canoes. I wrote an article for Saltscapes a number of years ago where I profiled uh, wooden canvas canoe makers across Atlantic Canada. Yeah, and I'm very very fortunate that my timing was just excellent. Uh, last week actually I was in Truro, and I interviewed Todd Labrador, who's a Mi'kmaq from uh, the Wildcat Reserve in uh, Nova Scotia, and he's actually putting on a, a building a birch bark canoe with uh, some uh, Mi'kmaq youth uh, in um, Nova Scotia. So I had a chance to interview Todd and uh, look at his work, and he's just a fantastic uh, um, uh, canoe builder. So And, mm-hmm. and um, it was interesting because one of the things I'm trying to uh, get my head around and still haven't succeeded yet, hopefully I will before I end, uh, finish the book, is the nature of craft. You know, what's a craft? You know, craft is a utilitarian, but it's now that, you know, and, and the Mi'kmaq work is such a good, fine example. Even the utilitarian stuff, they always... You know, embellished it some way with design and so yeah. on. So, and a lot of the people you know I'm interviewing, like they're doing, they're, they're craft doing craft, but they're doing art, in my opinion. Like uh, they're you know they're either painting with wool or they're you know they're doing just fantastic work that you, you yeah. know you'd never want to put on the floor. You want to hang it on the wall to, yeah. to enjoy. So, you know, I guess it's um, they're maybe they're craft they're artisans. I guess is what maybe I call them. But I'm still you know originally craft. I think was designed to be. Um, um, you know, a utilitarian, something you would use. A functional, functional thing. exactly, yeah. a functional item, and it's sort of you know, it's still that in many cases, but yeah, a lot of people are, are elevating it, I guess, and it's nice to see that it's still functional, but it can be beautiful as well. Yeah, we we see that we've seen that a lot in Newfoundland with rug hooking. We've talked about yeah. rug hooking a little yes. bit. You, you, it it was a at in a sense, it was a functional. A functional craft, you know, you made these things and you put a lot of work into yes. it, artistry into it. But at the end of the day, you put them on the floor and you rubbed your muddy boots on exactly. them, right? you know, exactly. And and there has been a, a resurgence in interest, and no one would buy a, a hooked mat today to put on the floor to wipe your boots on. Exactly, and yeah. and uh, I know that the. the um, Growing up, the, the, in, you know, my family, the transition was that the, the rug was new. It was it was in the in the front room, I guess, or the parlor, or whatever you wanted to call it, the living room. And then, it, as it got worn, it would transition to maybe the, the hall, and then would go to the kitchen. <laughs> then it'd be out in the back porch, right? But then it'd, it'd be gone down to the dump or whatever. But uh, yeah, but yeah, the, the things that they're producing now are just absolutely beautiful, and it would be a, a sin to uh, to uh, put them on the wall, on the floor rather, for sure. So, uh, uh, but it's uh, you know at its at its basis, it, it, it had its uh, its its birth was in. A, you know, functional using, and there was, you know, there wasn't a lot of, uh, they couldn't waste anything, so they use old clothes and yeah, so on sure. to, to make rugs and, yeah. and, or quilts or so on. And um, uh, I know in Cape Breton, and it was probably the same here, that was, you know, there were peddlers that would go around, and, and you know, my grandmother, they would knit, they would hook rugs over the winter, and then they, this peddler would come and he would trade them for uh, oil cloth, we used to call it. So they would get, that would be the way of getting some money to, to 
improve the house, I guess. So, and I don't know whether they probably ended up in the States or something, but um, yeah, there's a long history of that, I think, in uh, maybe over here as well. But mm. uh, I know it's certainly in, in the maritime. So. You, you mentioned how the, the Mi'kmaq Canoe Project, how they were working with, with youth. And, I, and I'm curious about the people that you meet. Are they, are they worried about the, the transmission of these skills? Well, that's certainly a, well, a section I, I'm including in the book is on where, you know, where's the next generation of crafters. And it's, so far, it's been really, really encouraging because everybody um, that I've talk to are, are passing it on yeah they're very uh, they're giving classes they're uh, mentoring people and it seems like it's uh, there's a very and there's a, it seems to be a, a real resurgence of interest in uh, among the younger generation of uh, are you know they're tired of you know the throwaway stuff and uh, stuff that breaks the first time you use it so something of value and that lasts and and especially you know, some something that's handmade so I think um, it, the people I've been talking to so far for the majority of, of the crafts um, uh, seems to um, you know there's a they seem to think it's fairly you know they're vibrant I guess in the sense that the interest is there hmm. and uh, it's not all baby boomers like myself I guess who were having some time when they retired to do it but I think it's other people who are working it into their their lifestyle yeah it's interesting you you were saying how you're going to go to the Green Family Forge yes. in, in Trinity and and I you know I remember not that long ago there there really weren't. Uh, even demonstration forges in Newfoundland, and now and now it seems to be that that's a thing that is kind of uh, gaining a bit of popularity. Yeah. There's in in Brigus, the there's been a an, there was an old family forge, right. the Pinkston Forge, right. that the local historical society moved. They, they had they saved the building, they moved it to a new location, and they have two young fellows that oh. are are now working there. One yeah. of them went off, I think, to a, a Farrier College in Ontario sure. and had learned okay. some skills. Has come back. Is now training another young fellow. Yeah, exactly. So there's kind of a, there is kind of a new generation of young young guys, anyways, when it comes to blacksmithing, yeah, who sure. are who are doing this kind of yeah. Craft. No, it's, I was seeing that as well. There's um, uh, I have uh, I interviewed a couple in Nova Scotia. I'm looking forward to the interview at uh, the Green Family Forge. Uh, I, I saw a statistic for in 1860, Nova Scotia had 1,500 blacksmiths. Right. So it was a huge and uh, not only for, for farming but for fishing as well, making anchors and everything else. So it was a very important part of the um, of the community and and uh, and. Uh, so uh, the people that are getting into it again, they're you know building a lot of functional stuff, but they're adding a lot of very artistic touches to it. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, yeah, and I was one like I said because my grandfather had a forge, and uh, I remember turning the, the blower when I was a kid, little fella. And uh, so I, I, I uh, we don't have the forge set up now, but I have all the parts. So that might be uh, when I hit, when I get this book finished. <laughs> your, that might your be your post retirement project. Post retirement right? would be uh, pretty, <laughs> getting the forge back together and uh, start banging the, ha- the anvil again. So uh, yeah, you know, I was I was out in Brigus a couple weeks ago. And, and the forge was up and running, and there were and there were all these kids who were fascinated, and, and I can remember being that kid, okay, and, and going to like uh, going to a pioneer village and and seeing the uh, the blacksmith yeah. working, and, and and I think that's one of the one of the reasons why I'm I, I kind of got interested in in history and sure. tradition and those kinds of things. Yeah, you know? no, it's uh, it's a fascinating uh, be able to and and uh, you know take a piece of metal and heat it and, and shape it at your will is is really uh, fascinating, and I know one of the uh, the uh, blacksmiths. I interviewed said like he considered blacksmithing the father of all trades because he he made the tools for the other trades. Sure, people. yeah. So you couldn't uh, be be a carpenter. You got to take out your hammer and your nails from the blacksmith type thing. So uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a long history. Well, it goes back to you know God knows. I mean, the, the Vikings had forges here. I guess when they were here, and yeah. Before that, so uh, yeah, yeah. So and, and I think you're right. It is. I think there's often. Um, uh, 
I think in this modern age, we think, oh, that's that's something that would have happened in kind of rural farming communities. But in Newfoundland, forges were an important part of, of fishing life exactly. you know, because everyone had some kind of gear they yeah. needed to make a- anchors, grapnels, whatever, yeah. whatever it was, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, pouring lead to make fish hooks yeah. or, or whatever. You know, it was yeah. uh, it was a really important part. And, and even little communities like like Brigus, where this forge has been reopened, I think at one point it had three or four little forges yeah, running no, exactly you know? no it, it was like a very widespread uh, trade and, and like my grandfather that was his work i mean they had a farm a small typical Breton farm with a horse and some sheep and pigs and cows and things like that but uh, you know he, he a good part of his day was spent in the forge uh, you know uh, working uh, and shoeing horses was uh, was the other big part of it so uh, yeah he was, yeah he made a living anyway so so you're looking at you're looking at the forges you're looking at boat building you're going to the boat building and uh i've interviewed um you know some uh, rug hookers and i'm i'm um, i'm going to do some uh, interview some leather workers and and then i'm going when i go up to st anthony uh, they're lining up some uh, people for me to interview up there at the um, grenville mission so uh yeah i'm looking at all the crafts and and i'm really looking forward to uh, maybe learning meeting some more or learning about some more while I'm over here, so uh, and um, uh, unfortunately I'm only here for the week. But then I'm, I'm you know, I can f- certainly follow up uh, people with an interview and so on, and uh, over the phone because I, I'd, li- I'd like to get as many, you know, people represented as I can across mm-hmm. the region. So. Is there is there an area of craft where you think you have a gap? Is there something an area you'd like to know more about? No, well I tell you, one, one of the crafts <laughs> I was really looking forward to writing about because when I lived over here, um, I used to spend some time in the woods and I, had, I bought a little tin kettle like. For a quick, you know, for a boil up, yeah. you know, the, the common one, and I wanted to uh, profile the guys that are making or people that are making them. So I've been trying to locate somebody who's still making tin kettles, and I thought I had a lead uh, on the south coast, but around the uh, I guess in Cornerbrook, but uh, they person passed away or retired or whatever and now they're getting them offshore which i mean is <laughs> they're all made in china, china. yeah so, so i don't know if there's somebody out there that knows tin kettle okay well, tin kettles yeah if you if you're listening and you know a tin kettle maker <laughs> let us know because yeah because I, I, I don't i don't know many people now there is there is a shop here in St. John's, uh, Puddisters. Oh, right. Okay. Um, Puddisters, which have done tin work for okay. a very, very long okay. time. I'll be, I'll be checking them so, out. And I'm sure they're in the phone book or online oh, or whatnot. Sure. I, would, I would suggest that maybe they might have a they, – sure. they might know uh, someone around who's still doing that. Sure. And I know they get, they get interesting requests, I think, sometimes for people who are looking to repair things yeah. and do things. Well, it's yeah. interesting. I know one of the things I'm finding out is um, uh, like these, these are historic um, – Recreate, you know, uh, um, work that's being done, like Fortress Lewisburg is a good example. That's really spin, spun off a lot of artisans in Cape Breton, leather workers doing building stuff for the fort. Yeah, and my, well, my father worked there all his life as a as a carpenter, so they did slate and they did timber joinery and all that sort of stuff. But there's a lot of people who who even moved to Cape Breton to, to work at the fort and 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 do these crafts. So I'm seeing that also, like uh, Ross Fire Museum in in uh, Nova Scotia and the Shelburne Museum. I'm interviewing a dory maker down there. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time, he builds dories at the um, Fisherman's Museum there. So um, these, so these are really useful in keeping crowd. And, and you know, Grenfell Mission is a good example, and, and the uh, the facility there in Trinity too. You know, mm-hmm. bringing these, maintaining these crafts, and introducing them to a new generation, and um, you know, instilling uh, an interest in. in younger people yeah and, I, and I'm always interested in when people are using traditional crafts in a contemporary way like you know I think people play with this idea of tradition a little bit mm-hmm. there's obviously some stuff that comes from the past but then they're 
they're using it to do new things. So yeah. one of these young uh, blacksmiths out in Brigus, when I was there, he was making something for the back of uh, somebody's motorcycle, you yeah. know? Yeah, right. And, and I think that that's great. You know, it kind of ensures that the tradition moves forward. For sure. Forward. I mean, you got to, you know, we, we all, uh, we have to live as well, right? So um, I know I'm, I'm interviewing some leather workers who used to make harness, but now they're making chaps for a motorcycle ride, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's still the same skills are involved and they can still make harness if the, if the demand comes comes up. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, and even like, uh, you know, the, the rug and quilt makers, they may be designing it on, on their laptop, but at the end of the day, it still comes back to sitting at the, sure, yeah. at the frame. And one of the, one of the leather workers here that I, I did an interview with several years ago, this guy, Gary Barnes, like he, he's a leather worker and he makes kind of harness. He does kind yeah. of traditional harness exactly. stuff, yeah. but then he's the guy that makes all the, the frogs and the belts for the guys that are working high steel. Sure. Yeah. So exactly. it's kind of a, it's a contemporary modern exactly. uh, necessary uh, equipment. Yeah. But he he's using techniques that I assume are yeah. hundreds, thousands of oh, years old. For sure, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah, so you you know you have to be contemporary, but you you kind of remain rooted in the past to a certain extent, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm interviewing knife knife makers as well, or bladesmiths, oh, yeah. as they like to be known. Yep. So and they're like kind of an extension of the blacksmiths, but then you know they're doing some really. You know, beautiful stuff and high tech stuff. As well. I was I was out uh, a couple of years ago on Vancouver Island, and uh, there was a, a, a bladesmith, um, a welder, blacksmith guy who had, he had this shop where he kind of did a bit of everything. And uh, he, I remember he had these amazing gates that he had made going to his property with great big dragons, like very Lord of the Rings kind of <laughs> yes. thing. And and he really did a lot of that kind of fantasy science fiction sure, stuff. Yeah. And he had this—he had his kind of his portfolio of things that he had made, and he said, "Oh yes." And he opened up this this picture album, and it was a wedding party in New Zealand, and they were all in their Klingon uh, <laughs> outfits. And he had right. made these Klingon battle axes for this wedding, and he says, "Oh yeah, I ship that stuff all over the world." You know, people are looking for this sci-fi stuff, yeah. and so here he sees a market. <laughs> exactly, you know, and, and that's what a lot of like the, the especially the younger craftspeople they're you know really tuned into social media and yeah. you know and and getting their product out there and doing you know a fair bit of sales you know because of that right so yeah. and uh, it certainly opens up a, a big market compared to the traditional market at least in it's probably the same here it's a very few months in the summer and early fall when you had the tourists around right yeah. so uh, and this exposes you to a, to a much bigger uh, a much bigger market so so you're going up the northern peninsula and then you're going back on the ferry we're, com- we're going back on, on um, uh, you come back to Rocky Harbor and interview some people there and then uh, in Corner Brook and I'm actually interviewing um, a social maker there Jack um, um is he the guy that uses the rebar? And yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, and, okay, I, yeah. and the reason I'm doing that because I have a pair of his uh, snowshoes, and um, I'm really looking forward to interviewing. Which him. is another great example of kind of contemporary exactly. adaptations yeah. and of they're that great craft. snowshoes. So, uh, so yeah, and then we're uh, so we're getting the boat Sunday morning, but um, and so then I've got I haven't been to New Brunswick or PEI yet, but um, those are hopefully mostly day trips. So, um, but yeah, so I got a lot of work to do. I, I got well, hope to get the manuscript done up by the end of November, and Nimbus expects me to have the manuscript done by the. End of November so um, yeah but it's been a lot of fun and I uh, re- really appreciate opportunities like this to get the word out so. yeah and you're doing are you photographing all this stuff yeah, go yeah I'm taking and- photographs and uh, of the uh, the craftspeople and and, uh, and their work and um, 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 so yeah so looking forward to um, um, you know profiling I guess the craft and a little bit of the history of it but also the people who are doing it and also a little bit of the contemporary uh, you know uh, interpretations of some of the, the uh, traditional crafts and um, and also, the, you know, touching on the, the um, where the next generation is coming from, and that's been exciting because there, you know it seems to be there's a real resurgence and a lot of interest and in, um, in, in passing on the skills. So 
Now, if people uh, if people want to get in touch with you, if they're looking for your books or if they're if they're, they have an idea of a contact for you, how do they how do they well, reach you? The best way is probably by email, and my email address it's old trout and by Newfoundland should be able to relate to <laughs> me <that>. old trout, <laughs> and so it's old trout at seasidehighspeed.com. Old Trout at SeasideHighSpeed.com. Yeah. Well, that'll be good and to remember. Find yeah. Me, so, um, yeah. And if they're looking for your books, your uh, well, Nib- books? they're right in Nimbless. Uh, I, I like to say they're uh, available wherever fine books are sold. But, uh, <laughs> you, uh, the, but the second one, unfortunately, is not. Uh, it's out of print. But you might be able to get it secondhand somewhere. So, but the other one is on a print-on-demand, Discover Nova Scotia Sport Fishing. So. And do you, have a, do you have a website or a Facebook page? Uh, well, I just got a, 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 um, I guess my legacy of working with government. I, never, I wasn't on Facebook when I worked for government, <laughs> probably for good reason. But i just actually getting on there. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling my way along on Facebook. So we, yeah. will, we will track you down. Yeah. And yeah, I'm going to put out that call again for, for tin kettle makers. Yes. And if you find someone locally, yeah. I'd, I would love to know that too. Yeah. To know. I was disappointed when I got the email saying, I'm sorry, the, 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 we get them offshore now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, never, I assume that was China. But anyway. I guess that's the, that's the danger of some of this, some of this stuff. <laughs> well, is that's that, right. You know, a lot of this stuff is, yeah, I'm sure you can buy any number of fly flies. Uh, well, that are the majority of flies are actually tied uh, by women in, in uh, South Africa, and uh, oh, really? Yeah, that's because of the, the British legacy, I guess. Uh, there's a and they're excellent flies. They're they're very high quality, and and I understand they're paid the the, the ladies are paid a, a living wage for the country. They're not, it's not I guess a sweatshop per se, but and they're good quality, but. Uh, it's uh, there's some really really good local fly tires and uh, you know, be- the better part- thing is to learn how to tie them yourself because there's some great opportunities lots of cl- people teaching it over here and catching a, a fish uh, on a fly you tied yourself just doubles the the, the enjoyment so yeah. oh great well Don thank you for coming on the show well thank you for giving me the opportunity I'm Dale Jarvis you've been listening to Living Heritage a co-production of CHMR Radio ninety three point five and the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Andrea McGuire. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at HFNLCA. Thanks for listening.